everyone hopes to hear Jesus welcome them with, Well done, good and faithful servant. But many will instead hear, Depart from me, I never knew you. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains why as he shares the differences between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. To introduce the conclusion of his message, The Pretenders, here's David. And thank you so much for joining us today. We are in the midst of a series called 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. Today we're going to talk about a time in the future when those who are not believers, now hear me carefully, no one who's a Christian will ever face the white throne judgment. That's not for believers. That's just for people who don't know Jesus Christ. And according to the Bible, many of them will stand before the Lord to make their case and say, Lord, haven't we done marvelous things in your name? Haven't we done all the list, all the things they've done? And the Bible says that God will look at them and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. A lot of people think they're going to heaven that aren't going to heaven. And I hope you're not among those, because the sad thing is you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. That's not sad. It's sad not to know it. And it's sad to think there's another way because there isn't another way. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through him. So if you're listening to this broadcast today, let me just up front encourage you to carefully listen to the words of this teaching. You do not have to be at the white throne judgment. That's just for people who haven't accepted Christ. You can accept Christ today, and you will never see the white throne judgment. You will be in heaven uh, in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen to what we're going to teach. Consider your own situation and determine not to let that day catch you by surprise. Don't be a pretender. Be somebody who really believes what you believe and stand for what you believe. Be a Christian, and we'll talk about it at the end of the message. The judgment seat of Christ is an event that's going to take place as soon as you get to heaven. As soon as you go through the pearly gates, the first agenda item is go get your appointment with the judge. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. The Bible pictures Jesus coming back to get us, and he's bringing the rewards with him so that as soon as we get back to heaven, he can give us our rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. There's a wonderful little story about this particular verse that I've always loved. There was this young preacher who was taught in seminary that he should always preach without notes, but was given some instruction to what to do if he should forget his sermon. And the instruction was he should say the phrase that he had just said. He should back up from the pulpit, and he should say the phrase that he had just said and see if he can get back on track. So... This young man was preaching his first sermon on this particular verse. And he got to the place where the verse said, Behold, I come quickly. And he couldn't remember what was next. So he backed up and he thought. And he stepped forward again and he said, Behold, I come quickly. And he still didn't know what was going on. He did it a second time. And the third time, gathered himself up and he said, Behold, I come quickly. And he was so forceful, he went over the pulpit and landed in the front row in a woman's lap. (laughs) And he said, oh, my my dear woman, I am so sorry. I am so embarrassed. She said, honey, don't be embarrassed. You told me three times you were coming. I should have been ready. (laughs) And you know what? 
That's a funny little story, but we have to be ready when the Lord says, behold, I come quickly. And the scripture says when he comes, he's bringing his reward with him. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, and each one's praise will come from him. James says this, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And Jesus said it best, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. One day we're going to hear the shout, the trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first. All of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We will be ushered into the gates of heaven. As soon as we're inside of the gates, one of the first items on the agenda is the judgment seat of Christ. And what will the courtroom be? Well, we've already discussed that. It will be heaven. We will all be in heaven at that time. So obviously, whether we go to heaven or not isn't the issue. We'll already be there. The judgment seat of Christ takes place in heaven. You can't be at the judgment seat of Christ if you're not already in heaven. So it's not about whether you go to heaven or not. That brings us to the core of this whole thing, which is the criteria of this judgment. And here's the thing we all want to know. What's going to happen at that moment? What is going to happen? If I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ as a Christian after I'm in the gates of heaven, already certain that I'm going to spend eternity with him, what will happen when I stand before the Lord at that day? Well, Paul, in his writing to the Corinthian believers, gives us a clear illustration, an illustration that has been relevant to every generation from the time it was given to this very moment. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. Here we read these words. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work. Of what sort it is, if anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. The process of building and judging the builders who are building the building is the illustration the Apostle Paul uses to help us understand what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, in the story of Paul, Jesus built the foundation we are his children, and along with Jesus Christ, we are building this foundation. Paul is involved in this as he writes this passage. The Lord is going to evaluate someday what kind of materials have been put into the spiritual building. He says there's two different ways to build a building, just like there are two different ways to build a life. You can build your life with gold, silver, and precious stones, or you can build your life with wood, hay, and straw. What in the world is the difference? What constitutes gold, silver, and costly stones? And what constitutes wood, hay, and stubble? One Bible scholar wrote it this way, I observe that gold, silver, and costly stones are those things which God himself creates and he plants those things in the earth, and man can do no more than reap the bounty and provision of God. 
But the wood and hay and stubble are those things that man plants, that man cultivates, that man harvests, that man manufactures and uses for his own purposes. And so the suggestion we make, said this scholar, is that which God is permitted to do through the child of God, the things that God is doing in us that we know are God things, that we aren't doing this ourselves. God is doing this. We're trusting God for this way beyond anything we can do. We know that God is working in our lives. Those are the things which are gold, silver, and costly stones. And the things that we gin up for ourselves, for our reputation, for our resume, the things that we do in the context of serving God, those things are the wood, the hay, and the stubble. And in Paul's illustration, he says, one day there's going to be a fire in the building. And the nature of the materials that were used to build the building will be manifest or revealed. Even today, that illustration is very common to us. There's hardly a month goes by, you don't hear something on the news or on television about some building that caught on fire, and when they went in to do the inspection, they found out that the wiring wasn't what it was supposed to be and that the materials in the building were not the materials that should have been in the building and that the builders were cutting corners to save money. In the ultimate process, nobody knew about it until the day of the fire, but when the fire came, everything was revealed. And the illustration is that one day at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be a fire. And the fire at the judgment seat of Christ is the white-hot gaze of the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Bible, the eyes of Christ are pictured as a blazing fire that penetrates everything. And the fire will sort out what we have done, whether we have done what we have done for the right reasons or whether we have been pretending. Fire is a well-known biblical image of testing, and fire will determine what we have done in our lives as Christians. May I say to you, it's a very sober moment here, but it's sober for me as well. Can I honestly confess, it's really hard, if you want to know the truth, to look back over your shoulder at your life and ask yourself this question, God, have I ever done anything just for your glory? Isn't that a hard question? There's something of us in just about everything we do. But in the measure in which we live our lives to please the Lord, that's the measure in which many of the rewards at the judgment seat will be awarded. In the introduction to the passage of Scripture that talks about the judgment seat of Christ, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 5, we're told that it is important that we please the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? That's my goal, to please God. You know, if you have as your goal to please God, you don't worry about the rules, you know? You don't go to your wife and say, honey, I want to please you today. Can you give me all the things I can't do and all the things I can do? No, you know her. You know her heart. You know what's important to her, so you live your life to please her. The same is true with God. Don't make this harder than it is. I can't make it harder for me than it is. The basic thing is, when I get up in the morning, it should be my desire that what I do that day will please the Lord. Does that always happen? Absolutely not. I can give you more illustrations about my own life than I would feel comfortable doing. But if at the core of who we are, our goal is to please Almighty God, we are on the right path. 
I had a teacher who was a homiletics professor when I was in seminary. His name was Haddon Robinson. He's in heaven now. And he used to tell us in class, gentlemen, when you preach, you don't have to be all the way at the end of the road, but you got to be on the road. (laughs) And when it comes to pleasing God, I can promise you I'm not all the way at the end of the road, but I'm on the road because there's a hunger in my heart as I hope there is in yours to live my life in such a way that God will be pleased with it. I'm not trying to please the people out there. You can tell that from just hanging out with me for a little while. I don't care all that much about what other people say, but I care deeply about what God says. And that's the thing that should mark the difference in our lives as we stand before the throne. Now, the conclusion of the judgment is twofold, and we're almost done here. The Bible says that sometimes some people are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ where all the rewards are given. Remember, this is like a race, and we're standing there, and all these rewards are laying on the table that God wants to give out, and some people are not going to get any reward. They're going to lose their reward. They won't have it to lose. They just will lose the opportunity to get one. And it's wonderful to know that the Bible helps us understand what causes that. In the words that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples before he introduced the disciples' prayer, he said this in Matthew 6, 1. Listen carefully, you guys. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from our Father in heaven. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says that one day we're going to stand before the Lord, and you may say, well, I'm up for the generosity reward, Lord. I gave bukus of money to the kingdom. Yeah, but you put it on a billboard in your town. You already got your reward. You don't qualify. Here's the second one in the same passage. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. The whole issue here is, are we doing what we're doing for men to please them so we can get feedback from them, get a claim from them, a pat on the back from them, a position from them, or are we doing what we're doing for the Lord? If we do it for men... One thing the Bible doesn't say, you don't get anything. Whatever you get, you got. That's it. That's all you're going to get. Whatever you get, and you put your name out there as a charitable person, and you do it with that motive, you will get some acclaim. But your rewards are done. You won't get any in heaven. And then Jesus told this famous story about a nobleman. He said that this man went away left his plantation in charge of three servants. You remember that story? It's in Luke 19. The Bible says when he came back, he brought all his servants together to see how they had done while he was gone. And the first servant, he really had done well. He was diligent. He wasn't lazy. He multiplied what the man gave him. He took care of everything. And the Lord gave him a great reward. The second servant wasn't a bad guy, but he wasn't good either. He was sort of just medium And so what did he get? He got sort of a medium award. But the third servant, he was worthless. He didn't do anything. He was lazy. He didn't do anything to manage his owner's well-being. And the Bible says that he not only lost his reward, but what he already had was taken from him and given to another. So 
here's the deal. God has given each of us some things to manage. And the more he's given us, the more responsible we are. So the Bible says it's required that a man be found faithful in what he does. Whatever it is that God has given you to do, be faithful in doing it. You don't have to have, I mean, not everybody's going to be a preacher. Not everybody's going to be a worship leader. Not everybody's going to be able to play the piano. But whatever it is that God gives you to do, size it up, thank him for the opportunity, and do it with all your heart and do it faithfully. That's what's going to be judged at the judgment seat, our faithfulness to God. So when we stand before this judgment seat, we will be judged not only by what we have done, but by how we have done it, our motives. Say it ain't so, Ben. This is how the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation led its national radio news on Monday, September 27th, 1988. Their national hero, Ben Johnson, had just tested positive for anabolic steroids and was stripped of the gold medal he had just won for breaking the record in the Olympic 100-meter race. Even as members of the Canadian Parliament were in the middle of flowery tributes to the fastest man in the world, reports began to trickle in that Johnson had been disqualified. What made the embarrassment more acute was the fact that he had just been extolled as a model say-no-to-drugs athlete for Canadian youth. The story was that the record he broke would not be broken for at least 100 years, and it didn't last for 100 hours. What happened was he ran the race and he won the race, but he cheated. And because he cheated, he lost all of his rewards. I don't really know how to apply that to what we do in the Christian life, except that God is the God of the end and God is the God of the means too. God not only cares what we do, he cares how we do it. How many of you know there's a right way to do things and the wrong way to do things? There's a way to do right things in the wrong way. And God cares about all of that. So he tells us that we're to be sober and thinking about our lives and not be careless. He says in 1 Peter 1.17, if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, what should be the result of that? Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. And the word fear means in sobriety or soberly or carefully. Don't be frivolous about your Christian life. Don't just blow it off like it's meaningless. Take stock of what God's doing in your life and what he's doing through your life and ask him to help you do it better. My friend Todd Durkin, who I see several times a week when I'm home, always tells us when we walk in the door of his gym, we're going to do better today. We're going to do better. I used to think that was kind of silly when I first heard it, but I began to realize how it was sticking in my head. That is a good goal, isn't it, for even us as Christians to do better, to evaluate what's going on in our lives in light of the fact that someday it's going to be revealed and ask God to help us do what we do for him in a better way. The Bible says not only will there be those who lose their rewards, there will be those who receive them. In another message, I went through all five of the crowns that are available to us at the judgment seat of Christ, and I don't have time to go through them again today. You can look it up and get it. But I've heard a lot of arguments over the years about not 
working for the Lord for rewards. You've probably heard that. People say it's kind of like you can't be really spiritual if what you're doing, you're just doing it as a Christian, so someday you can stand up and get a reward. That's not right. You should do this because you love the Lord. Well, the problem with that is the doctrine of rewards is all over the Scripture. There are hundreds and hundreds of verses. I got pages of them. I almost brought them today, but you should be thankful I didn't. Just take my word for it. The Bible teaches rewards. And I know people who piously care so little about eternal rewards, but they're killing themselves right now trying to accumulate a great reward for this life. They profess to be content with a little shack in heaven, but they're trying to build a bigger shack on the earth. The Bible teaches there's nothing wrong with ambition. We just need to make sure our ambition is focused on the right place. We should be doing all within our ability to extend the kingdom of God, to make a difference for Christ in our world. You shouldn't be embarrassed to be ambitious to do that. If your ambition is to have the biggest house in your community, you might want to review that a little bit. Because if you don't, someday someone will. There's an Indian legend about these three guys that were crossing the desert by camel one night. And they were crossing the desert. A voice came out of the darkness. And the voice commanded them to dismount, pick up some pebbles, and put them in their pocket. And the voice said, at the coming of the sun, you will be both glad and sorry. The travelers did as they were told. And later as the sun came up, they remembered what the voice had said. At the coming of the sun, you will be both glad and sorry. They reached into their pockets and pulled out not pebbles, but diamonds. They were both glad and sorry. Glad they took as many as they did, and sorry they didn't take more. (laughs) In effect, that is what this sermon is all about. Right now, God is giving us opportunities, and he's saying to us that at the coming of his son, S-O-N, we will be both glad and sorry. Glad we used the opportunities that we did and sorry that we did not use more. Every day, God gives you and me opportunities to please him. Every day, God gives us opportunities in little ways and sometimes in big ways to make a difference in the kingdom. And the scripture says that we are stewards of that which God entrusts to us And if he's entrusted much to us, much will be required. But whatever is given to us, God wants us to take it and use it and develop it and make it happen for the kingdom. If you're here today and you've never put your trust in Christ, I hate to tell you this, but one day you will stand before the great white throne judgment and you will hear these words, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Or you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And here's the deal. You get to make the choice. It's your choice. You can decide. It isn't decided for you. It's decided in your heart. Do I want to be a Christian and put my trust in Christ? Or am I going to take my chances at the white throne judgment? I recommend that you not do that. I recommend that today you open your heart to receive forgiveness for your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can do that through a simple prayer by just asking him to come into your life and forgive you. He will do it. You will be changed. And then you will never see the white throne judgment. 
Tomorrow here on Turning Point, we're going to start a two-day discussion of Heaven's Oscars. Did you know that there are going to be awards given out in heaven? That really surprises a lot of people. And some folks think that's illegitimate. Why would you need an award just to serve Jesus? Well, the whole uh, matter is is covered with our Lord's words that he wants to reward us. And there are at least five different rewards. We'll talk about them in the next couple of days. Uh, During this month, we're making available a little booklet called Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Many numbers found in the Word of God, including one specifically associated with Bible prophecy. You can get this little booklet that will remind you of all these numbers and others related to Bible prophecy by sending a gift to Turning Point during this month. When you send your gift, ask for the book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. We'll see you right here tomorrow. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you share with us how Turning Point is helping you in your daily walk? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. David's new resource that reveals the meanings of numbers in Scripture. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Signs right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with a gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we're living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the word, and be in prayer. Parents help their children develop common sense with admonitions like this. If you touch the stove, you will burn your fingers. While the Bible doesn't use the phrase common sense, it definitely supports the idea, especially in the book of Proverbs. 
There, the author gives hundreds of examples, both positive and negative, of what will happen if we do certain things. And the Apostle Paul reiterates that theme in the New Testament when he says that we reap what we sow. Jesus certainly used common sense, but much of what he taught was uncommon sense, like giving to receive, dying to live, and leading by serving. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's common and uncommon sense on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.